Later this year, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services plans to begin testing new ways of reimbursing physicians for delivering medication in their offices and outpatient clinics. The so-called Medicare Part B drug payment model was designed to nudge physicians toward prescribing lower-cost treatment alternatives, since less of their reimbursement would be tied to the price of the drugs that they're administering. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Deborah Schrag, Chief of the Division of Population Sciences at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Dr. Schrag has written a perspective article about the goals of the experiment and the controversy surrounding it. Dr. Schrag, can you tell us a bit about the problems with the current model for reimbursing physicians under Medicare Part B? Is the main concern that it encourages physicians to prescribe more expensive drugs, or are there other issues involved as well? That's the main concern. As you know, Secretary Burwell is engaged in a very ambitious plan to transition the Medicare program from a fee-for-service system to a fee-for-value. And as part of that transition, the goal is to shift the current strategy for reimbursing physicians for giving Part B drugs in the outpatient setting. The current system is known as buy and bill. And essentially what happens is that docs purchase drugs to give in their offices. And the way that system works is that physicians are reimbursed at something known as the average sales price, or ASP. And then they get a little fringe on top, currently at about 6%. And that little fringe cost covers stocking, storage, managing the inventory, administration, keeping the drugs at the right temperature. You know, those are real costs. The issue is that if you've got a drug that costs $10,000, 6% of $10,000 is a lot more than 6% of a drug that costs only $100. So the concern has been that the current ASP plus 6 system incentivizes docs to give more expensive drugs. And the big issue is how often is there a $100 option and a $10,000 option that both work just as well. CMS is betting that there are a lot of such circumstances and that they can nudge docs by changing the formula to prescribe the lower cost option. Docs' concern are that they're going to be underwater because docs don't always purchase the drug at ASP. Sometimes docs need to pay more. ASP is an average sales price. And of course, docs purchase drugs, and then sometimes they have no customers. Sometimes drugs expire before they can be given. It's complicated to manage drug inventory, and it's especially complicated for small practices to do so. You hear the term underwater mentioned a lot. Being underwater means that a doc has laid out more money for a drug than he or she has received in return in compensation. And of course, if docs are underwater too often, practice is no longer viable. Essentially, what we have is a gigantic system that runs on cross-subsidization. And it's an imperfect system. Everyone acknowledges that. But transitioning away from it is going to be tricky and is going to cause real pain. So as you say, CMS this year is going to be looking at a new model, testing a new model. What's the formula in that new model? So the old model is ASP plus 6. And the new model is ASP plus 2.5% plus a flat fee of around $17. And the idea of the flat fee is that whether the drug is $100, $1,000, or $10,000, you get that same flat fee. It was too draconian to just transition to a flat fee model all at once. So the 6% was lowered to 2.5% with the flat fee. So it's sort of a transition model. 
if you do the math, it turns out that $480 is the break-even point. So if you give drugs that cost less than $480 a dose, under the new model, reimbursement will go up. Drugs that cost more than $480, reimbursement will go down. How much reimbursement goes down depends on how much the price exceeds 480 So you say that the additional percentage is dropping in the new formula from 6% to 2.5%. Why not get rid of the percentage addition altogether? So CMS is tackling the trim above ASP, going from 6% to 2.5% plus $17, because it can. It can do so legally. It's authorized to do so as a result of the ACA. What it can't do is touch ASP itself. Why can't CMS touch ASP? Because by statute, CMS is prohibited from negotiating with the pharmaceutical companies over price. What does that mean? Pharmaceutical companies set ASP based on what the market will bear. But CMS, the elephant in purchasing these drugs, has no negotiating power. So that is one of many reasons why drug prices are so high. Of course, other reasons are our patent system, various complexities of the legal system. Of course, we don't want a system that discourages innovation in any way, shape, or form. But CMS's initiative is really going after the component of the drug reimbursement formula that it's legally allowed to address, and that's the skim on the top the 6%, leaving the 100% ASP untouched. And that's one of the many reasons why there's so much objection to the proposal. And is this explicitly a transitional model? CMS hasn't said that. CMS has set this up as an experiment. And I think, you know, one of the positives here is that they haven't just rolled this out across the land 100%. They're testing this model. They're testing this model by essentially conducting a gigantic nationwide cluster randomized trial. They're assigning areas of the country regions based on a unit known as the primary care service area. And they're randomizing primary care service areas based on where patients live to either be reimbursed under the old model or under the new model. And at the end, they're going to look at a number of aspects of care quality and effectiveness for patients assigned to each group. I think one of the things that concerns us is that CMS hasn't yet said a lot about exactly how they're going to measure outcomes. We know they're going to measure spending, right? We know they'll measure spending in the regions where patients' drugs were reimbursed under the old model versus the new model. But what else are they going to look at? Are they going to look at care quality, whether people got appropriate treatments, how well people did with those treatments? Measuring all those clinical outcomes is going to be hard for CMS to do without developing some infrastructure and some partnerships because this information is not easily gleaned from administrative claims data that CMS ordinarily receives. But, you know, I think it's really critical that CMS not only look how this gigantic experiment nudges spending, but also how it nudges care quality, effectiveness, and in particular, access, right? I mean, there's a real concern that if too many small practices go underwater and are no longer able to manage drug inventory under this model, that practices will close, consolidate, which will, you know, hurt access to care, particularly for patients in areas of low population density, rural areas. That's the concern, and that's part of why there's such an enormous hue and cry, and so many are objecting to this. 
Right. I mean, you may have begun to answer this question already, but recently more than 200 members of the House of Representatives called on CMS to withdraw this proposal entirely. So in addition to what you've said, what makes this so controversial? The reason this is so controversial is that this is really going to eat into reimbursement for physicians in particular specialties. Oncology is one, ophthalmology is another, rheumatology is another. These are specialties where they're frequently administered outpatient drugs. In ophthalmology, there are a number of drugs that are used to treat macular degeneration, which is one of the most common causes of blindness in the elderly. Of course, in oncology, it's chemotherapy. In rheumatology, it's drugs to treat rheumatoid arthritis. But even in primary care, we have drugs like denosumab, which is used to treat osteoporosis, and of course, more common drugs like vitamin B12, which is frequently given in the office. Physicians are really concerned that they will not be able to manage drug inventory under the new model, that they'll go underwater, that they'll lose money, and that they will not be able to give drugs in their practices. And that will mean that physicians, in order to continue caring for these patients, will have to send the patients to outpatient departments of hospitals in order to get their necessary infusions. And sort of the great paradox is that reimbursement in the setting of outpatient hospital departments is more expensive. So although CMS's goal is to decrease drug spending, there's this paradox that if care is shifted to the hospital setting, we actually may achieve just the opposite. But again, to CMS's credit, they do propose to conduct this as an experiment. They indicate that this will be a five-year experiment, but exactly how long this will continue presumably depends on the outcomes that are achieved. I think another reason why there's so much objection to this is that it's a very chaotic time right now. CMS has changed not only reimbursement for Part B drugs, but reimbursement for physician evaluation and management services, so-called E&M, the cognitive component of care. CMS is shifting in oncology to something known as the oncology care model. So we have bundled payments, we have accountable care organizations, lots of innovation in how physicians are reimbursed. Physicians are having to adapt at breakneck speed, and it's extremely challenging. Practices are challenged. They're overwhelmed, and I think that's part of why there's so much opposition. It's hard for them to do forecasting, and, you know, essentially small practices are like small businesses, and Medicare is a significant component of their revenue, and there's too much unpredictability at this point, and so I think that's why there's so much anxiety. You say in your article that the success of this experiment is going to depend in part on the degree to which prescribing behavior is motivated by profit. Is there any research to suggest to what extent physicians consider prices when they're deciding on what drugs to prescribe? Stunningly little research on this topic. Here's what we know. We know, for example, in oncology that doctors don't choose to give chemotherapy or not give chemotherapy based on the profit motive primarily but that when there's a choice between a more expensive drug and a less expensive drug, there are clear instances of physicians being motivated by profit. Look, it stands to reason physicians are no different than any other human. But it's also equally clear that there's good evidence that physicians are not just greedy 
profit mongers who care about nothing other than profit. We don't see physicians using a huge amount of off-label drugs in contexts where there's absolutely no evidence of benefit. The best data for this comes from oncology, where there are drugs that are enormously expensive. And we do not see, for example, with immunotherapy, that all oncologists are rushing out to use these drugs uh, willy-nilly simply in order to make a profit. I think at the same time, we've seen tremendous growth in pathways, treatment guidelines. There are all sorts of initiatives that are designed and intended to ensure strategic-wise prescribing. One of the great unknowns is how many opportunities there are for physicians to prescribe a lower-cost product that's equally effective. It turns out that most of the time, drugs that are more expensive are newer, and frequently drugs are newer because they have an edge. In other words, they were FDA approved because they were more effective than an older drug, and that justified their price. So there's a relatively limited number of instances of drugs where there's a huge price discrepancy between two drugs, yet the drugs are equally effective. It's really going to come down to drugs where there's a very thin margin of effectiveness difference but a big margin of difference in price. There are some examples. An uh, example that gets talked a lot about in ophthalmology relates to the drugs for macular degeneration, where bevacizumab is substantially cheaper than some of the other agents, which have a slight edge and which have been better tested. Bevacizumab is not formulated optimally for administration into the eye. And ironically, two of the products are made by the same pharmaceutical company, Genentech. So many have suggested that ophthalmologists could save the Medicare program a great deal of money by using Bevacizumab. But, you know, I think a lot of the emphasis needs to be placed not just on physicians, but on the pharmaceutical company itself, because pharmaceutical companies can help save money by packaging drugs in multiple ways to facilitate strategic administration, minimizing vial wastage, facilitating, for example, administration into the eye. So I think physicians are right to say that CMS should direct its attention not simply to physicians, but also to manufacturers. Finally, if the CMS experiment is successful in nudging physicians toward prescribing less expensive drugs, how much of an effect would that have on the larger drug spending issues that are facing Medicare and that are facing the country altogether? So, as you know, drug spending has two essential components, Part B and Part D. Part B is enormous. It's $20 billion approximately, and it's only going higher. But the other component is Part D. Part D are the outpatient drugs, what you typically pick up at the corner pharmacy. There's actually already been more innovation in the Part D space, and many of us already know this. There are various mechanisms in place to encourage us to obtain a lower-cost drug strategy such as tiering. Drug A has a $5 copay, drug B has a $10 copay, and drug C perhaps much more expensive agent that has only a slim margin of superiority, perhaps has a $50 copay. A lot of these initiatives already exist in Part D, but Part B has been left relatively untouched. So that's the reason why CMS was so eager to roll out this experiment. You know, how well this works in Part B, will there be spillover effects to Part D? I think that that's unclear. I think the bigger issue relates to cross-subsidization. 
for years, specialties, particularly oncology, have relied on reimbursement for administering drugs to subsidize essential components of medical practice the cognitive components that have been woefully underfunded. So, you know, when an oncologist spends an hour with a patient who has a new cancer diagnosis and the reimbursement is, you know, just $100, the oncologist's time, the office staff, genetic counselors, social workers, all the ancillary support staff who are integrated into these complex practices, they're supported from some of the revenue that comes from the buy and bill system. And if that revenue goes away, I think there is real concern that some of the services, some might call them amenities, but I think many would call them essential services, may face cutbacks. And that's a real threat. And I think it's going to be a challenge for CMS to figure out new models to reimburse more strategically so that those essential services remain. Looking at patient access and ensuring that patients continue to have access to care that they need is going to be mission critical as part of this experiment. But no one loves the buy-in bill system. The buy-in bill system is not a good one, and it doesn't align incentives in an ideal way. Thank you, Dr. Schrag.